who here has already fought with someone? <laughs> no hands up? <laughs> Not enough. <laughs> Perhaps it was over something uh, friendly, like who was going to make supper that day. Or maybe it was over something trivial, like whose turn it was to wash the dishes. Maybe it was over something serious, like the in-laws coming over, or a loved one in the hospital. Or maybe it was just a fluke, a bad day where one little drop overfilled the cup. Think of such a time. Who won that argument? You can win an argument, but no one wins a fight like this, right? You both feel apart, betrayed. You can even lose friendships over arguments. It's not fun. And it escalates quickly as well. And when the fight is over, you are separated from the one you love and trust. It's tragic. But how wonderful is it when you make it up? When two people are reconciled, knit back together, you know, you bring breakfast in bed, a bouquet of flowers, a hug, and a good talk. Whatever it takes, right? But I believe that the worst separation over an argument was a separation that was made over the argument in the garden. A separation between God and man over disobedience. A separation that took years to be reconciled but how beautiful is it for us today? We have been reconciled through Jesus Christ, who through his death and resurrection paid the price of death and made up with God. But for us who believe this, what are the results of being reconciled through Christ? And what does Christ's reconciliation mean for us? So let's pray before we delve into the word of God. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, I just want to come to you once more, Lord, and thank you for the great day you've given us, Lord, and thank you for the nice sun outside. I want to thank you so much for each and every person in this room, Lord, that was able to make it today. And I pray that you open our hearts to listen to your word, Lord, and to be able to learn from today. May whatever message that you preach, Lord, come into our hearts, that we may remember it for the weeks to come, and that we may be able to further your kingdom, Lord. It's in your precious and heavenly name that I pray. Amen. Now, this may, seem, this may seem obvious, but I believe that to learn from a passage in the Bible, you need to read the passage from the Bible and then reread it a second time, just slower. So if you can all please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll read through it. And uh, why don't you all stand up while we read it? Stretch out your legs a bit. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is also known to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, and if we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of God controls us, 
because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us a message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a passage, right? This is a passage that could be familiar to many of you, I'm, I'm sure. But this has to be one of my favorite passages just because of how rich it is. And let's jump right into it and learn what this passage has for us today. So I believe that the first point we have here is that Christ's reconciliation defines our priorities. And our priorities are defined by Christ's reconciliation. Notice in verse 11, Paul states, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. The fear of the Lord. Have you ever feared something before? You know, as a kid, my oldest brother convinced me that spiders would walk on you as you slept, and you ate about 10 in a year, and they would make you sick and lay eggs in your stomach. I fell asleep with a hand in front of my month for months. And I still have a fear of spiders today. And another fear I had growing up was a fear of rejection, a fear of being hated by others. And I know there are many other fears out there. You know, clowns, knives, balloons, a fear of responsibility, a fear of death. But the fear of the Lord here is a curious thing. It isn't terror. It's awe reverence. Read verse 10 with me, right before our little passage. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Fear of the Lord here is, a judge, is us being in front of the judgment seat of Christ. Paul had just spoken on living for God on earth, because we are his body, and we must all appear before this judgment seat. We know of this, therefore we fear, or we are in awe of the judgment seat of Christ. We must not stand in terror at this like our biggest fears we currently have, but we need to have a healthy respect of reverence to the one that has the power to destroy both body and soul. And Paul states that because we know of this fear, we persuade others. Every day, and this is a very sad fact, that every day, men and women 
get closer, one day closer to the judgment seat of Christ. This is one of our priorities gained through Christ's reconciliation, Christ's sacrifice, to go out and persuade others, to go out and spread the news of Christ's death and resurrection and what that means for us. And Paul keeps on going in verse 11. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Paul here is reinstating the fact that he is an apostle to the Corinthians, but he is not commending himself to them. He is not praising himself. You see, the Corinthian church had a very big problem with teachers. There would be false prophets, false teachers, false apostles, and they would all come in and the Corinthians would start believing them instead. Now, Paul, who was a real apostle, would get shunned by the Corinthians because of what these well-dressed, good speakers would say. And Paul here is giving the church ammunition to answer those who took him lightly, that he does everything out of heart. Paul was not a flashy presentation, big words, well-dressed man who would preach to the church for popularity. He was a man who served Christ willingly and diligently no matter what people thought of him. Which is why in verse 13, Paul states, For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for you. Here the if we are beside ourselves, can be literally translated as, if I look like a madman, it is for God. If I look like a madman, it is for the purpose of God? <laughs> He's not doing ministry for selfish gain here. And if other people see him as a madman while he's doing his ministry, then it is for God. Picture this. In ministry and spreading the gospel to others can be very intimidating, right? It's not something we want to do usually. We want to, but we were intimidated by it because you never know what other people think. And many people would call us mad. But to us, we are in our right mind. To the Corinthians, we are in our right minds to you. We are pursuing a command of God. Paul was ready to follow whatever made the gospel move forward. And this is the priority we have in the reconciliation of Christ. And why? Why shall we go out and do this? Verse 14, For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. As Christians, the love of Christ controls us. It constrains us. Christ died in our stead. He died for all. Therefore, all have died. All have received the punishment of sin, and we who have received this gift, who know about the death and resurrection of Christ, live for him who for our sake died and rose again. This death should change us. 
Reconciliation can be literally translated to change or exchange. And this is the reconciliation of Christ, connecting us once again to the Father, reuniting us and rebonding us to the Father. And we get to live for our Savior. I think that answers why. Which brings me to my next point. Christ's reconciliation, it gives us a new identity. We gain a new identity with Christ's sacrifice. Look in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. The Bible often uses the picture of flesh as the body. Anything that is of the flesh is of human desire or of human body. We do not regard each other as simply our race. We do not regard each other as the one who can build, the one who can draw, the smart one, the skinny one, the tall one. We regard each other as those Christ died for and he took our sin. Now you may be wondering what I'm doing. Imagine that every single one of these post-it notes is a sin that I did this week. I don't have enough on me. How many packs of post-its would we have on our body at this point? Right? And how many post-it packs would you put on yourself? Imagine walking around with these post-its and everybody has post-its on themselves for every sin. Imagine if you notice someone that has less than you, how would you feel? Or imagine noticing someone with more than you. How would that make you feel? We should not regard one another according to the flesh. Now imagine Jesus took all these post-its from every single one of us and put it on his back. How many post-its would Jesus have on him? Millions and millions and trillions, right? So many packs on him. Every single one of us have Zero left, because God took every single one of them through the death of Jesus Christ. And it's breathtaking. We should not look at each other's sin, for we are a new creation. It's a powerful illustration, right? And Paul here states that we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. And that would also mean by race and gender and all that, the Jews would see Jesus as teacher, miracle doer, Nazarene, Galilean. And some of the Pharisees would judge Jesus on his manners and actions, like picking grain on the Sabbath. Yet now we regard him as Messiah and Lord of all, who did the ultimate sacrifice. We do not judge each other for our sins. We are to help each other and to look at each other in times of need. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. The old has passed away. Every single post-it was taken off. And we are now living for Christ if we believe in Christ. And we become a new creation. Isn't that amazing? And now this isn't a verse to be simply used at conversion, we're new creations when we believe in Christ. But if you've been a Christian for 60 or 70 years or even longer, 
you are still a new creation in the eyes of God. We are still new creations, and we are to respect one another and take care of one another. We are given an identity of righteousness before the judgment seat of Christ. And we became this new identity through Christ's reconciliation. Yet many of us don't feel this way, right? <laughs> I don't feel new. I don't feel new at all. I sin every day. I watch things I'm not supposed to. I'm places I'm shouldn't, I shouldn't be in. I'm doing things I shouldn't be doing. I'm saying things I shouldn't be saying. Am I not in Christ? Why don't I feel like a new creation? Why do I still sin? It's amazing that though we were dead in our trespasses, we are now alive in Christ. But the true miracle here, the main focus, is the fact that we are in Christ when we believe in him, and we can't do this or achieve this without God's grace. We still sin, but God has loved us so much that he sent his only son to die for us, to die in our place. As a new creation, we actively seek God. Even though we sin, God is still with us. And it's only by God's grace. Verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled himself to us. All this is from God. And I truly believe that there are no words more comforting than this. Next point, the Christ's reconciliation makes us ambassadors or messengers. We become ambassadors to the reconciliation of Christ. Read with me once again from verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. We have all been given this task, even entrusted the message of reconciliation. You know, entrusted is to trust someone with something. And God has trusted us with the message of reconciliation. Keyword trust. The ministry of reconciliation is simply to go and tell others of Christ's reconciliation. It is to share the gospel and the fear of the Lord to everyone. Now, I love comfort. <laughs> talking to my friends makes me much more comfortable than talking to strangers. I have problems asking for water in a restaurant when the waitress passes by because I don't want to disturb her when she's doing her job. Yet I need to step out of my comfort zone and share with everyone about the gospel. God has given us this ministry and has entrusted to us this message. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not, uh, not counting their trespasses against him. Can you not see the grace of God here? God is not counting our trespasses against him. He is reconciling, reuniting, rebinding 
the world to himself. This isn't fair. Fair is hell. But God, but God decided to give his grace to us. And just this message makes me want to go everywhere and preach it. If I had the courage to do so. Right? I have problems talking to strangers. I have problems talking to people. What are they going to think of me, right? Paul writes this in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Therefore, since we have received the message of reconciliation, and since we have the ministry to do so, we are ambassadors for Christ, messengers. So we have a job to do now. And it's one of the hardest ones too. You know, ambassadors, they have a very big job description. Here's a definition, the tasks of an ambassador. It's going to be pretty long. An ambassador is a diplomatic representative that attends international meetings, banquets, and parties, and acts as a figurehead for their country of origin. Ambassadors are also known as diplomats, a more general term describing those that work in a foreign country while retaining citizenship in their home country. The foreign country, known to ambassadors as the host nation, serves as their base of operation for promoting international relations while concentrating on specific areas of government, including trade, military, involvement, and cultural relationship. An ambassador will smooth relationships between countries, especially in the highly sensitive areas of, polit of politics and trade. In addition, they send information about economic and, pol and political and cultural development in their host country to their home abroad. Ambassadors also assist travelers from their home country, explain foreign policy, and evacuate refugees from hostile environments. Due to the sensitive nature of their careers, ambassadors perform all of their duties with a diplomatic demeanor, ensuring a positive relationship between their country of residence and home nation. It's very interesting to me that Paul uses the term ambassadors, because in the past 2,000 years, an ambassador is still an ambassador, like a carpenter is still a carpenter. The tools have changed, but they're still the same. And this is the parallel that I draw from this. We are to share the gospel with everyone, no matter what political party, what race they are, no matter what their home country is. Promoting international relations by becoming friends and getting to know people better and performing all our duties with diplomatic demeanor. The thing is, our president, our leader, is God. Our leader is God. And we have a message to tell. And little time left. So he sends us out. And God is making his appeal through us by using us to go and tell the world about who he is. And that is an urgent matter. And an amazing opportunity given to us by him. This is the biggest comfort. If you want to go and talk to someone about the ministry of reconciliation, about the gospel, God sent you. So God is with you. He's with us. And he sent us out. So we should not be afraid. For God is with us.
And Paul continues by saying, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Brothers and sisters, this, this is grace. God made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. Christ took all our post-its. Christ took all our sins. He died on the cross and after three days rose again. All that to save us, an undeserving human race. That whoever would believe in him would not perish but gain eternal life. Whoever believes in him not perish and gain eternal life. This is the message of reconciliation. And our ministry is to go out and tell this, to share this with everyone. And if you are here today and you haven't made a decision yet, you don't want to, you don't believe, or whatever, I implore you to consider this truth. And if you want to come to talk with us at the end, I'd be glad to talk to you no matter what questions you have. And for us, brothers and sisters, this is the message that God has given to us. He cares about us. He loves us. Let's go out and spread the word of Christ, whether it be to coworkers, people in the bus, people you meet on the way to work, that one guy who's at the same stop as you when you're walking to go across the street, but it's a red light, so you can't yet, so you just stay there, that guy. It's not comfortable. It's going to be awkward. There's people that may give you awkward stares, death stares. There's even some people who might outright get angry and violent at you. But God is with you. Hold your diplomatic resolve. Show that you are the son of God, the daughter of God and share the word of Christ wherever you go. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for loving us, Lord. I want to thank you so much just for every opportunity we have to worship your name, Lord and to be able to share your gospel with others. Lord, give us the courage and the opportunity to do that this week. And I pray that as we go, we may be bold and courageous. And Lord, I also want to pray for each, for each and every one here, Lord. I pray that they may be able to continue their week while worshiping your name, Lord. It's in your precious and heavenly name that I pray. Amen. <laughs>